listeners, welcome to another episode of That's Odd. I am one of your hosts. I am Johnny Townsend, and I am joined by the esteemed Christopher Spooky Chavez. That would be me. I want to ask you something. Did you almost forget what the show was we were doing? No, I paused for dramatic (laughs) dramatic effect. effect. (laughs) I do, in your defense of asking that, though, I do... A handful of shows, and yeah. I have forgotten in the past. <laughs> While you were doing when there was that dramatic pause, though, I was thinking history creep. So I'm glad you said the right the right show anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what we do. It's what we do. Yes, sir. Uh, so we're here on that side. We're going to bring you a couple of odd stories, some odd tales. Yeah, that we shall weave for you, the listeners. Yes. But before that, Chris. Yes. Before that. Uh, it's time for a new segment, right? Yes. Well, it's, it's not new. We've we've done it a couple of times now. Basically. Uh, History Creeps has current creeps. What's going on in the news now that kind of delves into the creepy, weirder side. That's odd shit as well. So we have Now That's Odd. Now That's Odd. There you go. In high def. That's a better one. I like that one. Uh, that's in high definition right there. So we both find stories that seem kind of odd and bring them to the table. And uh, I'm going to go first because I just decided. Um, okay. <laughs> this is actually published today. Losing lottery ticket defies greater than jackpot odds. So check this out. An Idaho man's lottery ticket didn't win him any money, but it defied even longer odds than the jackpot by giving him identical sets of numbers. Mitch Tracy of Post Falls said he was in Spokane, Washington when he decided to use a grocery store's lottery machine to buy a quick pick lottery ticket with two sets of numbers. The computer randomly generated the same sequence of numbers twice on his ticket. Uh, Tracy's ticket, the number was 9, 11, 13, 28, 30, and 49. Uh, Christy Weeks, director of legal services with Washington's Lottery, said the odds of two identical sets of numbers on a quick pick ticket are 1 in 13,983,816, nearly double the odds of actually winning the jackpot. I feel like he should get something for that, right? They should give him some sort of cash prize just to be like, dude, you've, I don't think we've ever seen this before. You want $1,000? Here you go. Yeah, that's pretty wild. <laughs> What are the chances, that, that, dude? This is the quick pick that the computer generates, and it's the exact same numbers. That's wow! <laughs> oh wow! Uh, have you ever have you ever been tempted to play the lottery and just play the lost numbers? Yeah. Oh yeah. You want to know what? I'm tempted to play these ones right here now. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I well. mean? I'm gonna play this yeah. one for the next one and see what happens. And I and I urge everyone in in listening vicinity anyone who listens to the show to do the same let's see if anyone nails it uh at, at one of their state's lottery i was watching an episode of superstore it's a comedy it's on ebc that i've gotten hooked on here recently oh i saw i saw a commercial for it is it supposed to be kind of like a walmart type of deal yes yeah they okay. all kind of work in one of those and i used to work at one same. So uh, maybe it's maybe that's why it sticks with me. It's kind of hitting home a little bit yeah uh a lot of their stuff is based on some things that i could see really happening at one of those <laughs> Uh, but uh, they were doing a thing where they were also selling lottery tickets. You know, people come in and give them their numbers, that type of thing. And this one guy came up and tried to play the Lost numbers from the show Lost. 
Oh my gosh. And the guy and the guy wouldn't let him do it because he thought it was really stupid, so he wouldn't take it. And then of course the numbers that won the lottery was the lost numbers. Stop! No way, dude. <laughs> yeah. Oh, spoiler alert! Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, dude. I I just thought this was absolutely absolutely crazy, dude. I mean, like like she said, the fact that it's one in over thirteen point nine million of a chance of doing that. Uh, I feel like these numbers are kind of special. Somebody should try it. 9, 11, 13, 28, 30, and 49. Yeah. Uh, wow. They're either lucky or unlucky, depending on how you look at yeah, it, I we'll guess. Yeah, we'll see, right? Yeah. All right, what you well, got, I'm gonna see your. I want to see your lottery, and I'm going to raise you a whale. <laughs> a diver survived. This is in Africa. This, this story is from about four days ago as of this recording. A diver survives after being scooped up in a whale's mouth in South Africa. Oh, I saw this, dude. Yeah, it's it is pretty it's pretty crazy. Rainer Shrimp, hopefully I'm saying his name correctly, uh, was snorkeling off the coast of Port Elizabeth in South Africa when he ended up in the path of a bride's whale. That's what the whale is called, uh, which opened his jaws and engulfed him head first. Uh, we were very astonished that out of nowhere this whale came up, he told Sky News. I was busy concentrating on the sharks because, you know, you want the shark in front of you. <laughs> right. That makes sense. <laughs> he, all of a sudden, the sharks take off. He's like, huh, there's freedom yeah. me, huh? He's, and he said, then suddenly it got dark. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> oh, my God. Apparently, this guy's worked as a dive operator for over 15 years. He was in the water with two others for just a matter of minutes before the whale appeared. He had happened to be with a group uh, uh, of recording a sardine run, so he's around some sardines yeah. and trying to film it, uh, which is uh, which is where marine animals such as dolphins, sharks, and whales gather fish yeah. into bait balls. Like it just you know suck. I think most people know a whale just literally opens its mouth and all the fish that are there just kind of sucks them into its mouth. Yeah, yeah. So he was in the wrong place at the wrong time because obviously Lord. whales don't normally eat humans. No, uh, that's insane. Can you imagine the feeling of being in that? You know what I mean? All of a sudden, everything's dark because you're inside the yeah. whale's mouth. What? I would be panicking like crazy. <laughs> oh, I don't even know how I would take that, man. He said, as soon as he was, as soon as he was inside the mouth, he felt pressure around his body. But soon realized he was too big for the whale to swallow him whole, which he said, and I quote, that was kind of an instant relief. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So my next thought was that the whale may take me down into the ocean and release me further down, which is a possibility. Yeah. Uh, So I held my breath. Obviously, he realized that was not what he wanted to eat. So he just spat me out. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, dude. I I mean, I don't even know. That's so crazy, dude. Is that not wild? That is insane. I, I it's it's <laughs> mind blowing to think about how that would feel. Like what what kind of thoughts go through your mind? I don't know. These whales can weigh up to ninety thousand pounds and grow up to fifty five feet long. Good lord, man! The chances of that happening and the guy surviving, the whale spitting them out, and this guy getting that. These guys should get together, and I don't know. I mean, they'd be an unbeatable team, right? These guys have got the greatest luck. Our two are our two. Uh, now that's odd, guys. You would think so. Good man, that's <laughs> crazy. Oh lordy, dude, the world is crazy. I, I mean, like, could you know. imagine you're just minding your own business, just going for a swim? <laughs> <laughs> you're filming these things, and all of yeah. a sudden they all scatter, and everything turns dark. 
And then all of a sudden Man. you're Jonah in a whale. <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. That's the first thing I thought was like, this is like the, yeah. the headlines of a biblical time. Yeah, or Pinocchio, you're one or the other. <laughs> oh, man. All right, dude, you ready to jump into some odd tales for That's Odd this week? I am, I am. You want to go first or you want me to go first? Uh, I'll go first. We'll go chronologically here. All uh, right. So first I want to throw out to you the name, and I think I did this yesterday when we tried to do this the first time before the curse struck. Uh, yeah, that's right. Bud Hopkins. Yes. yes, that's the name I know. Is he's UFO involved? I believe. Yes, he's huge UFO involved. He's considered the father of the abduction, uh, UFO abduction, like studies and things like that. Um, he he was he originally started as an artist. He was an artist uh, who was very heavily into UFO, um, you know, news things that were have. He was very fascinated by them. But after a while, it was like his art and painting started to go. Uh, take a back seat to his other interests, and he really got into UFO uh, lore and and reports. Uh, one of the things that fascinated him the most were these reports of people being abducted, like the the Betty and Barney Hill case. Um, so he was super fascinated with that, super fascinated with the idea of regressed memories and hypnotizing people to try to get them, um, you know, to, to remember things from their past and, and how they could use it with these people that had these experiences of being abducted, abducted. Um, he got into that kind of stuff, got into the hypnosis part of it. Uh, and he ended up writing books about it. The first book he wrote was called missing time in 1981, um, and then the next one he wrote was called Intruders, uh, the Incredible Visitations uh, at Copley Woods. This was in 1987. Um, so for his next book, he decided he was going to start, you know, reaching out to all kinds of people who had had uh, abduction uh, experiences. He wanted to interview them, wanted to uh, have some hypnosis sessions with them and, and see what he could, what kind of information they could get. Uh, one of the people that he came in contact with, uh, her name, now this isn't her real name, but she would go on to be known as Linda Cortile or Linda Cortile, depending on how you pronounce it. Um, he started working with her in 19, early 1989 um, because uh, shortly after the birth of her first child, Linda was 28 years old. She noticed that in some of the photos taken of her and her baby that her nose looked crooked. Concerned that she might have a tumor or a growth in her nose, she immediately consulted with an ear, nose, and throat specialist about the matter. Upon this consultation, the specialist discovered a buildup of cartilage and a surgical scalpel scar inside Linda's nose. This alarmed Linda because she had never had any surgery performed on her nose, a fact which both her mother and her sister attested to. So in May of 1989, uh, you know, she ends up getting in contact with Bud Hopkins and he starts interviewing her and, you know, putting her in un, under these hypnosis sessions and trying to get information uh, based on, you know, where she thought this came from. And, and it, it, you know, it comes out that she had had experiences where she had been abducted, but here's the odd thing, dude, what are the chances that while you are working with somebody that during these sessions, she gets abducted again? Not like in the middle of the sessions, but while like you're still working with her. What are the chances this happens, right? Right. Well, it does happen. Pretty wild. Six months later, November 30th, 1989, uh, in what would later become one of his books he would write, become uh, the focus of this book. It was called Witnessed, the, the True Story of the Brooklyn Bridge UFO Abductions. So here's the story of Linda Cortile. On... 
while you know this is this is six months after working with her, one of the nights she's at home and she's in bed sleeping. Right, Thursday, November thirtieth, nineteen eighty nine. It's three fifteen a.m. New York City resident Linda Cortile wakes up and realizes she is floating outside the window of her twelve story apartment on the east side of a lower east side of Manhattan. The other thing she notices is that there are aliens floating with her, three aliens, and she's completely paralyzed. She cannot move. She looks up, and there is a flying saucer up in the sky, and she and the three aliens float up into this thing, and then from there, the story goes that it the, the, the disc flies towards a, a specific overpass and bridge. Uh, does a couple other things and takes off. So this is the, this is the story for Linda Cortile. Now you would think, you know, when she reports this to to this guy, he's just he's he's you know floored. Um, but he there's nobody else that has come forward. I mean, this happened on the Lower East Side of Manhattan at three fifteen in the morning. It's not the same as three fifteen in a small town in rural USA. At three fifteen in the morning in Manhattan, it, things are still going on. People are are you know. The the bridge has got cars all over it. There should be all kinds of yeah. people who saw this, right? Uh, it's a city th- that never sleeps. Exactly. But yeah. he starts getting, you know, after uh, a few months after this happens in 1990 and 1991, he starts receiving um, letters and, and people reaching out because they had had this experience of witnessing something uh, and then they didn't know who to turn to. So they would start researching and they'd come across this guy's name, you know, Bud Hopkins. He writes these kinds of books and they would reach out and see if they can get a hold of him. And so he starts getting all of these these little reports come in. One of the reports he gets is from this woman. Um, let me find her name here. Everything I'm reading is actually off the... There's an actual website about this case. It's called lindacortilecase.com and it is extensive. The amount of information that's here, the people that they talk to, it's insane. Um, Janet Kimball. So she is one of these witnesses that says that she saw this happen. She was, uh, uh, she was on the bridge at the time of the November 30th, 1989 UFO abduction incident. Um, Janet Kimball was an independent firsthand eyewitness to the abduction. She said she had been coming home from work that night and all of a sudden, uh, on the Brooklyn bridge at three 15. And she knew it was three 15 because her watch had stopped at that time, but her car started to slow down and then it died. It just stopped in the middle of the bridge. And she was kind of freaking out and looking in her rear view because she didn't want to get rear ended. Right. Then she noticed everybody in, in, in the rear view as they kept getting closer to her, their car started slowing down and just kind of dying. And everybody's just, people were starting to get out. All of a sudden, people were pointing across the waters, and some people were freaking out and screaming. She turned her attention, and that's when she saw it. You know, uh, Lower East Side, the building, there's a hovering disc, and she sees these figures just kind of floating up into it. Uh, Hopkins gets a bunch of different kinds of reports like this. Uh, here's the odder part. This is this is where it gets really odd. Wait till you hear this stuff here. So there were three other people who were actually a big part of this this UFO, um, uh, what do you call it, um, abduction. So the third and fourth witness to Linda's case were two security intelligence agents who referred to themselves as Richard and Dan. Uh, they, along with a third party, 
were all uh, independent firsthand eyewitnesses to the abduction. Richard and Dan first contacted Bud Hopkins by mail 15 months uh, later in February 1991. Their letter uh, presented a sanitized account of what uh, they could at the time remember witnessing of the November 30th UFO abduction. In their account, they presented themselves under the guise of two policemen who were in the area at the time of the incident. They did, uh, they did say that they could tell Hopkins what they saw without having to mention the involvement of the third party who was also with them at the time of the abduction. They said that there were sensitive circumstances surrounding both the identity and the career of the third person, uh, which is why they could only give their names as Richard and Dan and that they were only cops. It comes out a little later that they were off-duty officers that were acting as bodyguards and that the third person that was in the car was uh, a high-ranking official in the U United Nations. Um, so this dude, like this this guy who's a, a UN person, supposedly saw all of this as well. And not just saw it, apparently they see this happen and then the UFO comes their way and these three get abducted as well. Dude, this story just gets super crazy because uh, after this all happened, so the story goes that they go onto this ship and they have these aliens that are, are um, they bring them out to the beach and let them all out. So Linda Cortile is, is out there, but she's acting like she's not in control of herself, like something else is controlling her. She's moving around and, and kind of looking and talking all weird, uh, talking to these other aliens, and they understand. Meanwhile, the three guys are sitting on the beach facing the water. Um, one guy, the guy Dan, says that he notices Linda Cortile walked down to the water's edge and pick up a dead fish. And then she comes to him, holds it in his face and says, look what you have done. And he felt like he's, he heard his, her voice in his head. He didn't see her lips move and it freaked him out so bad, so bad that the dude started having some sort of like mental breakdown. He started like stalking Linda after this whole ordeal went down. And this is while they're going into like she's she's working with Bud Hopkins and stuff. This guy is stalking her. It says that at 10.15 p.m. February 19th, 1991, Richard and Dan show up at Linda's apartment unannounced to speak with her about what they had witnessed uh, on the beach that night. Richard met up with Linda unannounced multiple times. Linda's husband was there as well as a childhood friend, um, and they would talk about these things. But then all of a sudden, another weird thing happens. April 29th, Richard and Dan kidnap Linda for the purpose of interrogation. Wow. They force her into a car and drive her around for hours asking her questions. Uh, because they just they feel like something's going on, like she's working with aliens and they don't understand what's happening here. But then the problem is is Dan's mental health continues to deteriorate um the trauma from the abduction as well as some of the bizarre things he witnessed were the primary source of his decline among other things dan developed a dangerous obsession with linda um he would start he started to believe that the aliens were she was working for the aliens and that that uh he was she was the reason for his mental health decline and and he hated her for that so he ended up kidnapping her himself and taking her to a beach house he forced her to wear a white nightgown similar to the one she had worn the night of, of the abduction. Linda managed to get away from him, uh, but he chased her down on the beach. He took photos of her and then nearly killed her by drowning. Apparently, Richard, the other guy, showed up and managed to stop him from drowning her and ended up taking Linda home. 
Isn't this insane, dude? Like, I like the more this, I read, the, the, this is wild. There's so many twists and turns in this. Here's some more. So, she, Dan, so, she, so Dan, she was kidnapped twice already, Dan's, not counting being abducted by aliens. Exactly. Dan's decline good. continued, and he made one final attempt to kidnap her and take her away with him for good on February 22nd, 1992. Richard and four other security intelligence agents stopped him. He was taken for interrogation by Richard and the other agents and was never seen again. Oh, <laughs> are you ready for this part? So, here's the here's okay. the one that's going to blow your mind. It's already blown. I mean, he disappeared. It turns out that Richard and Linda has have shared a lifelong abduction experience together since they were both children. Richard, when he met with Bud Hopkins, remembered his experiences and recognized Linda during the abduction of 1989. He did not tell her uh, this as he wanted her to remember on her own. She became aware of this. She only became aware of it after Bud read her Richard's letter. So he wrote, he had this letter called Mickey and baby Ann. Uh, It was a letter that Richard had described his childhood abduction experiences and his repeated pairing with a girl he called baby Ann. Linda remembered that when she was a child, she had an imaginary friend, a boy a few years older than her, who she called Mickey. Linda and Richard's separate detailed accounts corroborated one another. Linda had no prior knowledge of Richard's experiences until she was read the letter by Hopkins. It was at this point that Linda realized that what she had previously thought had been a series of encounters with an imaginary childhood friend was in fact something real and had occurred with a real person. Richard was Mickey and Linda was baby Ann, and they had been abducted together and put together all their lives since childhood. That's just, the, dude, this is just the surface of the story. Like if you want to go deep, check out the website. I mean, it is so in depth. They have all different kinds of witnesses throughout the years and things that have, it's insane. It's insane. This story. I heard this story and I was just like, First of all, what are the chances that while this guy's working with her, she has an experience? Unless maybe there was some sort of hypnosis thing that kind of lingered and it was all a dream. But then all of yeah. a sudden, these other guys show up, say they were a part of it. Uh, you know, all of they, this one guy becomes so obsessed with her and his mental health breaks down. He tries to kidnap and kill her. Uh, the other guy protects her and ends up being like, oh, yeah, by the way, we've been together since we were kids. Don't you remember this? Man, I wish Carter was here to hear this. <laughs> That's all I kept thinking as the story kept unfolding. It's why is it like I don't know if I've ever heard this one before. I'd, and I and that's what's blowing my mind even more. I know, dude. I when I heard this, same here. It was like, how have I not heard this? Check it out, Linda Cortile Case and a C O R T I L E dot com uh, quartilecase dot com. It's, it's so in depth. You can read the abstract on what happened. You can, and then it goes into all these different things, like how Bud Hopkins had training. Uh, all different kind, like people have tried to debunk things, and this thing goes into like all these inaccuracies on how people tried to debunk this. Like it's just I. Whoever put the time into this website, they put some time into it, dude. But there's all kinds of stuff here, including. Um, like where I said, the witnesses, apparently there was 24 or 23 witnesses, um, not of just the, of the event, but this overall saga that is the Janet Cortal case. Um, yeah, dude, I was telling you, this could have been a history creeps, but to me, the odd thing was, you know, number one, that she was, she was having an abduction during this whole thing where she's being interviewed for this. And then she ends up like, 
finding out that this she's been doing it since she was a kid with this other guy who's a part of this one. Like it just it blew me away. I was like, what? Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know what yeah. else I was thinking as you as you were telling me this? What's that? Uh, what you you remember the uh, the documentary we recently watched on YouTube? And there was a word they kept saying that you hated that they kept using. Oh, synchronicity. All right. So speaking of that word you just said, <laughs> uh, just so the audience, just so the the creepers know, uh, Chris and I did not tell each other what we were talking about today. No. Uh, yours took place in New York City starting in the late eighties. Yeah. Uh, through the early nineties, yep. mine takes place in the early nineties, also in New York City. Get out. So while this, so while yours is happening, what I'm about to say also was happening. <laughs> Dude, if you tell if you tell me the story of the other guy's life, Richard's life, that'd be insane. No, that, that would be wild. It would be <laughs> synchronicity. Yeah. <laughs> that would be wild. I wish I was now, but I'm not. Uh, so, it, starting from 1990 through 1993, people were what seemed to be random uh, were randomly being just shot. Uh, three would die, and the rest would be injured. Uh, but they were just being, it just seemed really random. It wasn't always in the same areas. Uh, like it would be in Brooklyn one time and then it'd be in another part of the city another time. And they couldn't figure out what was happening. They couldn't figure out because they, they just seemed so random until the letters started showing up. So every time this person would shoot somebody, they would send a letter to the police or they would leave a letter at the crime scene. And these letters uh, would have uh, would have like messages messages that need to be decoded, and they would feature taunts to the police. Uh, they would, I mean, the messages included codes based on maritime signal flags, uh, all kinds of weird stuff. But the thing that really stuck to the police is when the killer said that these these shootings were not random at all. In fact, uh, they were picking out people based on their Zodiac signs. Now, Zodiac, of course, yeah. is a big deal in the... In serial, we've covered it on an earlier episode of History Creeps, the Zodiac Killer, yep. who was out in California in the, in the 60s and 70s. So the police were automatically up in arms over this. I mean, did the Zodiac Killer just quit killing over in California and come to New York City on the other side of the United States? I mean, it was possible. And they could never find this guy. And he would just leave letter after letter. Uh, when, when he, by the time he had finished in 93, three people had died and six people had been shot and were able to survive. And the ones that would survive would actually catch a glimpse of the guy every once in a while. But it wasn't enough to, you know, kind of, they would get some sketches, sort of. But it was never enough to be able to, uh, you know, really, truly identify somebody. And and that is, of course, until uh, <laughs> uh, a man by the name of, and I'm going to, hopefully I pronounce this correctly. Uh, Heriberto Seda. I'm just going to call him Seda from here on out. Uh, until he, uh, till police were called to his residence uh, because his sister had called the police 
and stated that her brother, Seda, had shot her in the butt. <laughs> now, the reason he shot her <laughs> in the butt is because she was in the in the house that he was in with her boyfriend, and he hated the boyfriend. <laughs> so I'm going to shoot you in the ass. So, <laughs> so the boyfriend hid in a bedroom or somewhere like that, and then she was trying to get out the window. He shot her in the butt. Uh, luckily, uh, luckily, you know, luckily she wasn't killed and she was able to call the police and there was a standoff with the police that lasted for a few hours and finally the police bring him in and this is when they made a discovery that he was the guy who had been going around shooting people randomly. What's even more wild about this is of course he was apparently very fixated on zodiac signs and astrology. Uh Uh-huh. And, of course, doing so was a big fan of the Zodiac Killer. He was a copycat Zodiac Killer, is what he was. And what's even more wild about this story is uh, not only did the police catch him randomly. They got lucky that he lost his cool and shot his sister in the butt. (laughs) They got extremely lucky because I don't think they would ever got him if it wasn't for that. And this is only about three years after after the shootings. Uh, but not only did they capture him randomly, they had actually captured him before on having an illegal weapon. He was caught somewhere with a gun that he had made himself, by the way. And, what? Uh, w- and was charged for it. But uh, his lawyer had all the charges dropped, and they let him go. They didn't know that they already had the guy. And this was about 93, 94. So this is actually right when he had, you know, just he had been shooting people. So they actually had him in custody at one point, but let him just walk off. Jeez. They didn't, they didn't realize it was the same guy. Uh, so, and what, yeah, so the gun thing was really interesting to me as well because I don't know if I'd ever heard of uh, a killer who actually literally made his own guns. No. Uh, but, but yeah, he, uh, obviously he was, um, he had some mental issues going on. He was a high school dropout. Ugh. He was actually living with his mom and his half-sister. Oh, that was his half-sister that he shot in the butt. Um, and what's... He ended up actually... this. I'm trying to find... I'm, I got the things here. Uh, where is it at? Where is it at? Where is it at? Of course, he got convicted for murder and, convict, and attempted murder. Ended up getting 232 years in prison. So he'll never see the light of day. <laughs> he's, he's still in prison now. He's about. He's in his 50s now. Uh, but it was believed that he really admired San Francisco's Zodiac Killer. He was a big fan of that. Man. So what he would do is he would go somewhere where a lot of people were, and he would just kind of follow them around. And they know this because the survivors would talk about this. Uh, one of the survivors who was shot on a park bench and he survived said that a day or so before that, while he was, because he'd always go and sit on that same park bench, uh, somebody, a, pro- a man approached him and just started talking to him. And he thought it was just a friendly guy having a conversation. And just out of the random, he would ask him when his birthday was. Uh, AKA getting his Zodiac sign. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, Dude. and then the, and then the day later, that same guy came and shot him. Uh, it was, it got to the point where they said the city, I heard this interview with uh, one of the police officers during that time. And it was so, it got so crazy that, just like the Zodiac Killer in San Francisco had done, the city was on edge. Same thing happened with New York. I mean, they happened with this and Son of Sam. I mean, all these things will scare you. 
But for this one, like if anybody would randomly ask you when your birthday was, they said the police got all kinds of calls about that. Uh, you know, it could have been an innocent thing where somebody goes, Hey, when's your birthday? And they yeah. would just, you know, have, no. but if you ask that during this time, uh, you're going to get called into the police. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you something. It's super yeah. morbid and creepy, but if you had to be a copycat for a, a serial killer, who are you picking? Oh goodness, I don't know. That's see, I don't even I can't even think of, of that. I was I was oh, thinking, I, I was thinking about it, so I have a I have a little bit of a a, a, a jump on you, but uh, I was thinking if I had to choose, I would be Manson because I technically didn't do it with my own hand. You know what I mean? Like I was, yeah. people just kind of went out and did it. So kind of out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. You actually didn't get your own hands. Well, he did stab somebody, but oh, that's right. Uh, he was younger, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that guy who wouldn't give him a record deal. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, uh, that's tough. That's, it has to be something <laughs> similar to that. Cause morbid, I just, I just dude. couldn't do it myself. It's so creepy <laughs> yeah. to think about. Right. But how wild is this story? Not only is this guy a copycat oh, Zodiac man. killer, the only reason he was caught is because he shot his half-sister in the butt. That's what the only an, reason he was caught. What an idiot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> only because, And it wasn't even like because it was that dude's time. You know what I mean? Like her, her boyfriend right. or, or whatever. It wasn't her time. It wasn't the sign didn't come up on the Zodiac. It was just because, hey, I don't like your boyfriend. Yeah. So I was to stop eating issue. my peanut butter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He, he goes into the kitchen, opens up the fridge, pulls out the peanut butter. You can see somebody's been sticking their finger in there, and, and it's like you can hear the audible snap in his brain. He's like, all right, I'm done. I'm done with her boyfriend. Yeah. I can't do this anymore. Yeah, but, I mean, I mean, what kind of monster would eat somebody else's peanut butter? <laughs> you know? You kind of have to give it to him, right? I mean, at least it shot her in the ass. It wasn't like he actually killed her. I, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that Man, is why that's a pretty soft region. That is wild though, dude. That's totally wild. That's almost like Bundy, you know, like, like the chant, the reason yeah. he caught him was because he was with, a, it was like a driving thing, right? Like he was, he did something stupid, ran a stop yeah. sign or a red light. That's how they caught freaking Bundy. Yeah. And Bundy was very similar cause they'd actually caught him before and he just yeah. kept escaping jail. Yep. So guy, yeah, that's, that's true. Rising people. He was the new Zodiac. I could know, you know, people in that area just freaking the hell out. Like, are you kidding? We have a yeah. Zodiac now, which was making him so happy. You know, he had to be like on top of the world. Yeah. Uh, and then he shoots he his sister in the ass and he's like, God, yeah. like, what the hell yeah. was I thinking for someone so smart? Cause he technically did get away with it. Yeah. Uh, how dumb can you be? <laughs> But that that almost always happens with a lot of these people. They yeah. kind of get in their own way, and they're the reason that they get caught. I mean, look at the BTK killer. Yeah, grandiose. This you know, idea that they're not touchable. Yeah, and then they get themselves caught, thankfully. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Man, that's but, wild, yeah. dude. So that's that's the, pretty crazy. That's the story of the copycat Zodiac killer. That's pretty wild. Yeah, he had the whole city up in arms. <laughs> and while At the same time, they were trying to dodge UFOs. Yeah, right? That's insane. What are the chances? Yeah, that's pretty wild. Oh man! So there you go, man. There's uh, another episode of That's Odd in the can. I uh, I am done. I am leaving the clubhouse. Uh, I'm gonna leave the lights on because it's uh it's it's getting dark earlier and people are freaking out, freaking out over UFOs, yeah, we, dude. Yeah, we gotta make the UFOs think that we're awake. So let's leave the lights on. Exactly. And maybe they'll pick a different clubhouse. Exactly. Let's hope for the best. All of a sudden, that light shoots over your head, and you're looking up and floating away. Until yep. next time. Man.
until next time well thanks for listening everyone and of course as we leave the clubhouse here with the lights on i can't stress that enough uh we invite you to stay odd